Talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Critically analyzing national affairs. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, welcome to State of the Nation. I'm Brian McLean, broadcasting live out of Central Texas for TNT Radio. Today's news talk, tntradio.live is our website. I'm joined by the amazing Steve Hook. Steve, welcome to State of the Nation. Uh, well, it's it's good to be here, brother, as always. It's good to see you, Ash, and uh, we've made it to Friday, and uh, it's, it's, it's good to be here on a Friday. Indeed, so, yes. We got a big show today. Looking forward yeah, to that we do. Too. We have a uh, a really fun show lined up. Going to be great. We're going to have our buddy Timothy Shea from TNT joining us. We'll be speaking with Bayes Lit Analyzer in this first hour. And, of course, Ruckus will join us shortly for a news break. Um, but before all that, Steve, I have to point this one out. Uh, we've talked about Representative George Santos a couple of times <laughs> uh, in the last few weeks. And uh, he's in the headlines today. Uh, facing a third attempt to be removed from his New York House seat um, following today's introduction of a motion to remove him from office by a fellow House Republican. So the Ethics Committee Chairman Michael Guest introduced the motion following the release of his panel's report revealing evidence the freshman congressman engaged in illegal conduct considered beneath the dignity of Congress. Uh, this doesn't And that's look saying good. something. Yeah, right. I mean, why are they picking on him? I mean, can can we look at everybody's uh, campaign activity? But you know, I guess we could shelf that for now and focus on the matter at hand here. Uh, they're saying they have substantial evidence from the ethics probe that Mr. Santos willfully violated the law and misappropriated campaign funds while campaigning for Congress. Um, they said, "quote The evidence uncovered in the ethics committee's investigative subcommittee investigation is more than sufficient to warrant punishment." And the most appropriate punishment is expulsion. So uh, they have filed for that expulsion. And uh, wow, uh, if we could, could we just get one of these on all of them, everybody on Capitol Hill? I'd love it if we could have this kind of scrutiny going across aisles, up and down, left and right, Steve. Yeah, I don't disagree. But I would say that uh, Santos made it pretty easy for them. Uh, yeah. This guy is such a, I mean... Somewhere down the line, there's going to be a movie made about this character. Uh, this is like uh, th this is like the uh, uh, the alternate Mr. Smith goes to Washington. It's the Mr. Smith cons his way into Washington. Uh, and I love what they say he spent his money on. He spent his money on Botox treatments. Uh, he spent a lot of money at Sephora. So he's obviously <laughs> a very metrosexual kind of guy. Bought a lot of facial serums and whatnot. And um just and and then he spent his money at um uh Fendi or whatever some very fashionable clothes line and it just just took all this money that he had raised on a campaign which was and even his campaign was all bs his entire biography he made up out of whole cloth i think they're going to succeed this time though i think they will get him out of there of course he tried to fend this off earlier in the week by saying well i'm not going to run for re-election well no kidding nobody would re-elect you to begin with so that kind of uh, you know, wasn't going to go anywhere, but I think Michael Guest has got it right this time. He's written up a uh, written this thing up, and I think they're probably going to end up booting him. But we'll see. 
maybe he maybe he would have done better if he would have just stolen um all that sephora stuff and other things he was interested in from people's luggage at the airport like biden's uh <laughs> nuclear waste czar did you know yeah <laughs> yeah no kidding maybe he should have yeah. ran as a democrat and then it, well i don't know you know whatever you're oh, right yeah. there but uh yeah he's he is a, he is a real piece of work and 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 the thing is is nobody nobody is coming to this guy's defense it's not like you know you know, I mean, you got the squad, which those those women and a couple of guys in the squad, they're they're crazier than hell. Um, but yet they have their defenders, not many of them and an ever dwindling amount of them. But they do have their defenders. But nobody is coming to Santos defense because he's just obviously such a fraud. Yeah. So. The committee <laughs> collected voluminous voluminous all right voluminous records uh with more than 170,000 pages of papers and testimonials from dozens of witnesses according to the document and he's been charged with multiple counts of fraud conspiracy to commit crimes against the United States as well as making materially false statements to the Federal Election Commission so that's quite the uh, uh building up of a rap sheet there for Mr. Santos Apparently he was spending it on only an only fan site too. So kind of curious as to <laughs> I mean, now I don't think he had an only fan site, but I think, but I think he was spending some of the funds on an only fan site. Very, very funny. Uh, what a trip this guy is. And if nobody writes the movie, he ought to write it himself. Maybe he can pose as a Hollywood producer next. There you go. Yeah, maybe he was watching that um, that other politician uh, who just got routed for being an OnlyFans uh, creator. Oh, the, but... the chicken. Uh, the, yeah, the 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 woman in uh, Virginia. Yeah, yeah. Except the only problem there is I don't think George swings that way. So we'll just leave that one right there. Uh, real quick, also the um, the ATF unconstitutional pistol brace definition has failed. And U.S. citizens now nationally have a national injunction against the overreach of the ATF on that. So uh, big shout out to all of the amazing work from Gun Owners of America, Second Amendment Foundation, uh, NRA, if they were involved at all. I don't know. They've kind of fallen off the map in that department. But big win for the Second Amendment. So happy Friday news right there uh, for you constitutionalists out there. Yeah, that was good to see. And also, in kind of a related story and not such a good news, was did you see that uh, the video was making the rounds earlier in the week? The guy fended off uh, some attackers uh, from his home. He pulled his gun. His He was a concealed carry uh, permit holder, uh, and he was carrying his, his, his weapon with him. And he turned and he pulled it out at his door. It was all caught on ring camera. And he fired a few times. Nobody was hit. <coughs> Pardon me. But he did chase the the perps off in the neighborhood, uh, out of his neighborhood, and nobody was nobody was hurt. Cops came there. Well, today they've removed his ability to carry a weapon because he he actually used it. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, defending his own home, like the one place that all Americans are supposed to be able to do that without question. Uh, yeah, that that's. Uh disconcerting well yeah there's uh, speculation we'll, that it's because he embarrassed the cops by saying that they performed a a pretty uh well for lack of a better term a pretty piss poor job of, of of investigating it he said after they had left they left shell casings all over the 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 street they didn't pick it up they weren't really 
uh, doing their due diligence as far as handling the evidence. And uh, <laughs> you say that and all of a sudden, guess what? We're doing due diligence now. Give us your gun and you no longer have a permit to carry the gun. Uh-huh. There you go. Well, if that's the case, he'll probably see them in court and he will probably win in the long run. But they're going to make his life difficult in the meantime. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'll remind you, don't miss out on a thing. Be sure to download the TNT radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime. That's available right now to download, keeping you up to speed on TNT radio. Keeping the commitment. I love you guys. Unbelievable. 24-7. Listen to you every day, have for years. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. According to Representative Matt Gates out of Florida, members of the public will soon be able to view thousands of hours worth of surveillance video footage recorded on the day of January 6th, 2021, the breach of the U.S. Capitol as Congress was certifying the 2020 election. Here with the story, joining us now is TNT Radio News producer Adam Clark. Ruckus, thousands of hours. Uh, I guess everybody should get ready to start downloading and start viewing at 2x and looking for the good nuggets. What's the story here? A, a day that will go down in memory hole history if they had their way, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, apparently he let the cat out of the bag. Uh, the congressman Gates that has made the comments indicating. This was going to happen soon. Um, he said this yesterday, November 16th. Uh, he was visiting as a guest on Sirius XM's The Wilkow Majority Show, noting that some of the footage will be available to the public online within a matter of days, if you can believe this. Mr. Gates said, quote, I can break some news with you. You know, the way that the January 6th tapes will be released will be through a website where any member of the public can go and observe the videos that are being released. My expectation is they're going to be released in tranches and that the first tranche of the tapes to be released will be in, you know, days, not weeks, end quote. That's what he told the host of this show, Andrew Wilkow. I, I apologize if I'm saying his name wrong. No, you said uh, it right. Mr. Okay, yeah, I was flipping a coin on that one. Uh, Mr. Gates' comments come months after Fox News host Tucker Carlson was given temporary access to more than 40,000 hours of Capitol Police security footage. Mr. Carlson was given dozens of video clips for broadcast on his program, not the full video database. The recordings were initially handed over to Mr. Carlson by then-House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, since ousted, who later vowed to, quote, slowly roll out, end quote, the security footage recorded during the breach to news outlets. Um, according to the Epoch Times here, their journalists John Solomon and Julie Kelly were given months of exclusive access to video for more than 1,000 security cameras, also by courtesy of Speaker McCarthy. From some of that video, the Epoch Times produced a documentary. Um, I watched parts of it. It's pretty interesting, called the Jan 6 Tapes. Um, but it looks to me uh, like this is, we want we want more. We want the full footage because that has not yet been released to the public. So we've had little tastes here and there in certain special places that this would be different, uh, according to what Gates is implying here. Um, it is currently accessible by news outlets, the, the full footage, and Jan 6 defendants under a policy released by the House Administration Subcommittee on Oversight 
uh, who is the current custodian of the footage. Mr. McCarthy has, of course, was ousted, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, that was in early October, uh, which ironically, interestingly enough, was in an effort led by none other than Mr. Gates and a number of other Republicans. Um, so I think where we're at now with the Jan 6 uh, charges is more than 1,200 people have been charged in nearly all 50 states in relation to the incident, including more than 400 individuals who have been charged with assaulting or impeding law enforcement, which, of course, in case you didn't know, is a felony. Uh, the investigation remains ongoing. Uh, so um, I don't know uh, if if this is official, if it was just Gates just kind of teasing something, uh, but I, I don't think he would say it if, if it wasn't true. Um, and if it's going to be on a website, I mean, Hesher, do you think that, that the, what, what risk does that have just putting it out there like that? What do you think about this? I don't know, man. I mean, I, I do feel like it should all be public public record uh, if they, you know, because this video is taken in a, a public space, uh, given it is, you know, Washington, D.C., federal laws apply and all that. There's there's uh, <laughs> your mileage may vary when uh, trying to make that argument, but I think the American people deserve it. And I think that the people that are um, being held and, you know, have trials or who have already had trials and were not allowed to bring some of this uh, video footage into their discovery and their evidence for their defense uh, have been done wrong. Um, if there's video evidence that shows them, um, you know, partaking in what they've been accused of, that should be up for, uh, you know, America, the world, and any jury to see. Uh, because, you know, a, a picture tells a thousand words and a video uh, 10x is that. So um, I hope that this does go out. I hope it goes out wide. I hope it goes out honestly. Um, you know, if there's 40,000 hours uh, and they're saying we're going to release thousands of hours, let's keep in mind if they release, let's just say for easy math, 10,000 uh, 10, hours of the footage, it seems like a lot, but what's that's only 25% of it. So what's in the other 75%? So, you know, there's there's a lot of questions and um, media hawking that will need to be done as, as this goes forward. But, I mean, maybe it's good news, or maybe it's just going to go right in the memory hole uh, under the hashtag latest current thing. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I tend to believe that... Um... The main reason we haven't seen this is because the FBI does not want us to see how many feds were there. I think once we find out how many people were actually feds dressed up in Trump hats, waving their Gadsden flags, encouraging people to rush the building and then see another bunch of feds holding doors open and saying, come on in, guys, no big deal. Come on in. Uh, that's going to be very, uh, very embarrassing uh, for the FBI. In fact, I was looking at X today <clears throat> and people are starting to uh, circulate photos We've talked, and we talked about this a week or so ago. The uh, the, the famous uh, uh, the, where they put the uh, what, the gallows up on the mall there, right? right uh, and yep. and some photos are now being uh, circulated that shows some guys that are that, that are in charge of it that, that put it together, and they don't look anything like like these folks that were at the Capitol. They look like business suited feds, if you ask me. Now you know. Uh, who's to know, but there is a very real reason we haven't seen this footage. And I don't think it has a damn thing to do with, Oh, we're just trying to protect the innocent. I think they don't want to, they don't want people to know who was there. Uh, you know, we remember that when, when Ray testified 
um, before Congress about this. Uh, I think it was the uh, I, I want to say it was the Oversight Committee. James Comer uh, was grilling him or one of the somebody on the on the on the board there. And they said, were there people there? Were feds there? And he goes, yes, no comment. And so, you know, exactly what what's going on there. Um, this is this whole thing has been a debacle and a sham. And as much as I'm angry at the at the FBI for doing it and the DOJ for for probably ordering it, um, I'm just as angry at the media for just covering it up because their side's the one uh, that to them is doing the right thing. I would I would love to see it if the shoe were on the other foot, because if this was if Trump were, were ordering all this, you better know the media would be getting to the bottom of it. But now. They want no part of it because they're going after Trump supporters. It's it's really pathetic. It's ugly to see. Yeah, it's very I, obvious. And, you know, as many would argue that we have seen the shoe on the other foot with the BLM and Antifa riots and the way that those were treated. That was uh, over 5,000 riots, 700 of which turned violent. Um, nay a word. Even, even just the other day, the, 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 uh, the pro-Palestinian, some, some of them were even wearing Hamas headbands. They slug a, a police officer in the a woman slugged her in the face, knocked her down, assaulted six cops. Um, some congressmen were uh, some congresswomen were were trapped in their office for up to six and a half hours while the cops tried to get it sorted out, and it just disappeared like a like a flea fart in a windstorm. Nobody talked about it. It's over. And yeah, uh, I and, saw and a lot of that too. Are. I saw a lot of the same things too. White buses pulling up, dropping off tons of people dressed in that way. Balaclavas covering faces, N95 masks covering faces. Very, very similar sort of, uh, you know, traits that we've seen. All right, Ruckus, we're out of time. We got to let you go. We'll see you in the next hour. Thank you for bringing that to State of the Nation right here on today's News Talk TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. More and more, we're seeing Netflix documentaries which are completely fictional, or at least in large part fictional, and they're being portrayed as historical fact. Poll after poll after poll shows that young people who, by definition, have no historical context, believe that what they see is what actually happened. And this goes well beyond Hollywood movies with their classic, based on a true story, disclaimer. These are actual documentaries, or at least they're put out as being actual documentaries, when in fact they're not. A documentary sticks to the facts. That's part of what being a, a documentarian is all about. It's not opinionaries. It's not conjecturaries. It's documentaries. And more and more, we're seeing that these documentaries aren't documenting facts. They're documenting the documentarian's political interpretation of facts while completely omitting facts that disagree with their chosen narrative. The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I wanted to alleviate my pain. I also didn't want to be who I was. I always just felt like there was just something wrong with me and I was trying to figure it out and I used the internet to help me do that. Seemingly out of nowhere, we've suddenly seen a huge spike in media depictions and social media depictions of transgenderism. It's even reached the mainstream advertising world. The people who are consuming this are children, 13, 14, 15 years old, and it's so easy for them to literally be groomed. 
I just woke up one day, looked at myself in the mirror, and asked myself, what the heck am I doing? When trans-identified kids are referred to specialized gender clinics, they're often told that they're going to get comprehensive, multidisciplinary mental health assessments. We know that that's not true. I was easy to manipulate. The ideology that has become dominant at these clinics is that trans kids know who they are, and therefore to question them is completely taboo. My childhood was ruined. Who's there for their detransitioning? Nobody. Nobody would help me because they had more concerns of me reversing everything. Did this thing to alleviate this gender dysphoria that wasn't there before, but you made it into a problem, and now your body image issues are worse. That's not supposed to happen. What do we do now? D-Trans, the dangers of gender-affirming care. For more information, go to PragerU.com. Listen. Listen up! Now listen, we gotta talk. It's what we do best. This is today's News Talk Radio. TNT. All right. Yeah, we're back with State of the Nation on a Friday. TGIF, and we are so happy to get the band back together. Joining us now, Timothy Shea. Of course, you no doubt listen to The Reckoning with Timothy Shea. Tim, of course, got trademark political insight with a healthy dose of snark on the side of it. And we welcome him to the program. Timothy Shea, hello, sir. It's good to see you, brother. How Great are you? Great to see you guys. All we need is a little Gus's fried chicken, some sweet tea, and it'd be just like we're back together again. Right? Yeah, it'd be good. Indeed. <laughs> I, by the way, I still have my Gus's cup. And I, and I, and so I, so do I. It's sitting right here. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had the fried chicken, but I'll take the cup. Anyway, welcome to the show, brother. Happy Friday to you. Um, uh, what's on your mind? I wanted to mention a couple of things to you, but I want to let Hesh get us started on this one because he wrote down a bucket load of notes for you, and I was ready to go, and I'm like, oh, I'll write all this stuff down. And Hesher is the overachieving <laughs> co-host. The whole damn board is covered with this stuff. So uh, anyway, Hesh, take it away with Timothy, and then I want to chime in on something here. All right. Well, first one I want to throw at you, Timbo. Uh, yesterday we spoke with Roger Stone, and when I was doing the show prep, I was looking at his website over at Stone Zone, and I noticed he reposted an article from uh, the the ubiquitous Tyler Durden account at uh, Zero Hedge, and it's the concept is a T two ticket. No, not Terminators, but Trump and Tucker. Um, as a ticket idea, what do you, would you have any thoughts on this? Cause stone, like he said, he said, when I first heard it, I was like, eh, but then he thought about it more, read the article, reposted it and said, you know what? This is kind of a solid idea. I love Roger. I love the idea. I think where this is coming from is that Tucker was at the MMA fight. Of course, president Trump walked into thunderous approval. Can't remember the last time. Joe Biden walked into an arena and had people chanting his name without two other words preceding it. And it was the president. It was Dana White, the president of UFC, and it was Kid Rock. But immediately behind those three was Don Jr. and Tucker. And Don Jr. and Tucker are just like loving the show, right? They're walking in. They're looking around. They're joking to each other. I would have loved to have been a fly on Tucker's shoulder to know what he and Don Jr. were saying to each other because you can see the video and you can see they're enjoying it and that they're commenting on the situation. Were there conversations in the hotel room about Tucker perhaps joining the ticket? I don't know. I do know that Tucker said that he has never made a political donation in his life. He's never donated to a candidate. 
but he's ready to give the max to Donald Trump. So I think that tells you where his sensibilities lie. As for it being a good idea, sure, why not? I mean, we've got, had enough of politicians in political office. All they seem to do is screw it up and feather their own nest. I think Tucker would be an honest broker and, and quite frankly, could do a lot of good as our vice president and, more importantly, as president of the Senate. Yeah, no doubt. That would be wonderful just to see him in that role alone. I'm thinking maybe George Santos could be uh, could run with Biden. No, <laughs> no. You know, I, I, I we were jo- we were talking with Roger about it yesterday, and I said, you know, heads would explode from one coast to the next. It would, it, it would. would just imagine how they would react to that. Tucker and Trump, as if Trump weren't bad enough, you throw Tucker into the mix, and by bad enough, I mean great enough. Uh, but you throw Tucker into the mix, and oh my God, these progressives would just self describe progressives let me just throw that in there because there's nothing progressive about them but no, uh, they would they would just yeah they're regressive they bring us any... back to 1930s 1940s germany yeah and they're doing a pretty good job of it um yeah i just think it would be a wonderful thing and at first i think I, hesher and i were both kind of like what and and even roger stone kind of uh apparently kind of admitted that it seemed at first almost just too much of a uh uh, you know, a novelty uh, ticket. Uh, and then he rethought it. And I, I'll be damned if by the time we weren't done finished talking to him, I was like, yeah, maybe he's right. Maybe that would be a good ticket. Um, strange. You know, and can't, it's ludicrous. Kid Rock was there. Yeah. Yeah. It's ludicrous. It's preposterous. And it's politically pitch perfect. It would be great. We're living in a world now where I mean, the entire world, guys, has turned into a John le Carre or a Robert Ludlum novel. I love mob movies and I love spy movies because I would survive about five minutes in each. I'd be the character in real one that either trusted the wrong guy or didn't trust the right guy and ended up getting whacked. Right. So that's why (laughs) these people have a skill set I simply do not possess. There's a reason I don't play high stakes poker. And it's not because I can't calculate the odds on the fly in my head. It's because I'm really bad at knowing who to trust and knowing who not to trust. We've got psyops being run on the left. We've got psyops being run on the right. We've got psyops being run out of Israel. Look up IP3. We got psyops being run out of both Foggy Bottom and Langley. We've got good guy psyops. We've got bad guy psyops. All we know for certain is that we don't know anything for certain. However, in such a fog of war, because this is an ideological war, how do you box your compass? By what light do you box your compass? What I go on is if CDC or NIH says it, it's false and the exact opposite is true. If the Biden administration says it, the exact opposite is true. And if the left loses their minds over it, it's a good thing. So the left losing their mind over a possible Tucker vice presidency, music to my ears. There you go. Yeah, very well said. Very well said. Hold the line there, Timbo. We got a headline inbound. We'll pick up right where we left off, right here on State of the Nation at today's News Talk TNT Radio. Now, TNT Radio News. For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said Thursday on CBS's Evening News that after the ground operation, Israel is closer to getting Hamas to release the hostages taken during the October 7th terror attack. 
The former Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, who was sacked on Monday, has said the government needs to end its self-deception about being able to make its flagship Rwanda policy for illegal immigrants palatable to the UK Supreme Court and the European Court of Human Rights. Globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda. It never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. TNT Radio. Free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. We are with the host of TNT Radio's The Reckoning with Timothy Shea. Timothy Shea joins us, and we were just talking about, oh, the glory of drinking those liberal tears if this T2 ticket were to come to fruition. (laughs) Um, But, Timbo, I got to throw this one at you also because it's um, something we didn't get to talk with Roger about very much, but it's something I know that you and the MAGA Institute are very keen to talk about. And that is that an America first president is not enough. We actually need America first politicians. Where, where are you and MAGA Institute with that right now as we are you know, clearly in the cycle for 2024? Well, we've started our certification cycle. We've uh, certified Bernie Marino running for U.S. Senate in Ohio. Frank LaRose is the current Secretary of State and quite frankly, Frank needs to focus on the job he already has instead of worrying about the next job. And the third man in the race, Matt Dolan, is just another pasty white guy. His family owns the Cleveland Indians, and they didn't have enough spine to tell Major League Baseball, no, we're not changing our name to the Cleveland Indians. They changed it, of course, to the Cleveland Guardians. So that tells you all you need to know about Matt. He's be as much of a, a spineless milk toast as Nikki Haley in South Carolina. You know, she turned tail as quick as she could with the Confederate flag issue. So Bernie Marino is our guy in Ohio. We interviewed the other night uh, Colonel Lori Buckhout, who is now running for Congress in North Carolina's first congressional district. Lori won a Bronze Star as a commander in action in Iraq and is a great choice for that district. We're starting to look at other candidates, and you're absolutely right. There's only a relative handful in the House that are worth a damn. And Democrats are taking advantage of Republican fecklessness. If you've noticed, you'll always have 7, 8, 10, 12 Republicans voting with the Democrats. But except for the ones that aren't going to be in office anymore, I'm looking at you, Ken Buck of Colorado, the number or the membership of that group keeps changing, right? So they've got the stalwarts that aren't running for re-election. They're always going to vote with the Democrats. But then you've got other players popping in and out because what they're trying to do is they're trying to spread it around so people don't see, oh, so-and-so's really... And they call them rhinos, but they're not rhinos. They're actual honest-to-goodness Republicans, okay? The Republican Party is not now, nor ever has been, even in Ronald Reagan's years, a conservative party. It's just the only party where we conservatives have even somewhat of a home, but they're keeping us in an outbuilding, right? They want us They want us sleeping out in the barn. We've got to take over the party. 
And an idea was floated on my show a few weeks ago that I've come to really like. Vivek Ramaswamy for GOP chairman. He's not ready to be president. He's not running to be president. I was thinking he'd make a perfect commerce secretary. The patent and trademark office is under the commerce department. And Vivek has experience with intellectual property. He's a businessman. I think he could do a lot of good at commerce, if not commerce, another cabinet position. But I had not considered him for RNC chair. I really like that idea. What say you guys? Yeah, we we, we, we discussed that a week or so ago. And uh, we I think we even brought it up with Roger Stone, if memory serves, Brian. And um, everybody seems to be down with it. It, it would be... Uh, I think it would be a wonderful position for Vivek. I mean, um, you're right. He's not going to be president. Um, I don't know that. I don't even know that he would be selected for a cabinet position uh, at this point. He's just too green. Um, But he would be a a, a great proving ground for him would be doing the job that Ronna McDaniel has obviously not done. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it. I really would. It'd be uh, it'd be interesting. I think it would light a fire under it, uh, under, under the under the butt of the GOP. And I do agree with you absolutely, Tim, that um, the the GOP for a long time may be the natural home for conservatives, but it's certainly uh, we are. It's an upstairs downstairs relationship, and we are decidedly downstairs in that relationship. Right. There's no question of that. Let me ask you about this. Um, there's a piece by um, Kylie Griswold in the Federalist. I love Kylie; she's very sharp. She says Democrats have one huge problem, and it's an unavoidable problem, and his name is Joe Biden. According to recent polls, GOP frontrunner and former President Donald Trump would beat Biden in the 24 election where it held today. A Quinnipiac poll that came out Wednesday shows Biden with 46 percent to Trump's 48 percent among registered voters. That's, of course, still within the margin of error, too close to call. However, a new Fox poll that came out later Wednesday showed that in a head to head, the former president would get 50 percent to Biden's 46 percent, just eking out the uh, you know, the, the margin of error there, but I'm not going to read the whole piece, but she goes on and she just gives you a list of different polls and all of them are telling the same story. And not only that, Timothy, but they're all trending this way too. And it's not like it's going to get better for Joe Biden. It's not like all of a sudden he's going to become cognitively aware. He's not all of a sudden going to, you know, decide that he's going to, uh, you know, fix the energy problem or, or or somehow tackle inflation, all of his own self-made problems. What do you think? Do you think the Democratic down ticket is going to really suffer because of this president? It, well, I'm sticking to my guns. I said on January 20th, 2021, the day of the sham inauguration, that Joe Biden would not be the nominee in 2024. I still don't think he's going to be the nominee on the ballot next year. I think there's a long way between here and there. The polls you didn't announce are even more telling. Okay, the University of California Santa Cruz banana slug mascot outpolls Joe Biden. The Ohio State Brutus mascot uh, outpolls Joe Biden. My Syracuse University Otto the Orangeman outpolls Joe Biden. Joe Biden <laughs> couldn't get elected dog catcher now. He didn't get elected in 2020. The evidence is coming out that is irrefutable. We've had it for years. You know, Patrick Byrne had it in his hand two years yep. ago. I was talking to him in Batavia, New York, and he was saying, we've got all this evidence. No judge will look at it. 
None of the media will look at it. It's hard evidence. It's validated. It's certified evidence. It's slowly starting to come out now. And I think we're going to have that. And if Donald Trump was not going to be a threat to them, why are they trying to take him off the ballot? And by the way, they've lost every single 14th Amendment challenge that they've raised so far, which has been a beautiful thing. Uh, yeah. An appeals court judge here in New York, the court system is unique. Our Supreme Court is the lowest level, not the highest level. So the Supreme Court is the trial court. And then the appellate division of the Supreme Court is your next level of appeals. And then our Supreme Court is called the Court of Appeals. Well, the appellate division today lifted the gag order, the unconstitutional gag order that Judge Aragon put on Donald Trump in that ridiculous case that's going on in Manhattan. And Trump literally missed no opportunity. As soon as the order came out lifting the gag order, he was on Truth Social lambasting Aragon, lambasting his court, lambasting Attorney General Tish James. So that's a lot of fun, but they wouldn't be going through all this. They wouldn't be indicting him so much. They wouldn't be trying to keep him off the ballot with 14th Amendment challenges if he weren't a threat to them. Black men now favor Donald Trump, 53% to 47%. And even Michael Rappaport, unhinged leftist Michael Rappaport, who refers to Donald Trump by a name I can't even say on air. It's pig something Donald Trump is his nickname for Trump. Said that as much as he hates him, voting for Trump is now on the table because they've got to, quote unquote, fix this mess. That's exactly what Michael Rappaport said. And my position is when you lose Michael Rappaport, you've already lost the election. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And that nickname, by the way, would go better for David Cameron. Just saying. Uh, we'll save that story for another time, though. Uh, Timbo, we're just about out of time, but I want to flag up, or maybe you already have at MAGA Institute. Next week, Steve and I are going to be talking to a congressional candidate right here out of Texas going for the 12th district. His name is John O'Shea. And on initial look, I think he might fit the bill for MAGA Institute. I'm not sure what level of certification he can get, but hopefully you can tune in and uh, give us your thoughts at some point because we'll be speaking with him on Monday. Yeah, we're going to be contacting John. Uh, it's funny. My family was O'Shea, but the O line was too long at Ellis Island. And so they put us over into the S line. But my father's name is John. And uh, we're going to be looking at John O'Shea in Texas 12. Thank you for that. And I can't wait to hear him on your show. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Yes, very much looking forward to that and very much looking forward to your show tonight. Uh, Monday through Friday, you can catch Timothy Shea with The Reckoning at 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, highly recommend you never miss an episode because we love us some Timbo. All right. I Thanks, guys. Great to talk to thanks, you. Thanks, Timothy. Always. Take care, All brother. All right. Yeah, thanks, Timothy. You're listening to State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. Megan Rapino, one of the world's greatest female soccer players ever. Uh, unfortunately, she has disrespected the United States of America over the years. Started in 2016, not respecting the national anthem. She kept it going. It culminated at the World Cup this past year in New Zealand. And on Saturday, she played the last game of her career, ever. Three minutes into it, she got hurt and had to leave the game for good. 
And afterward, she used that injury to somehow claim there is no God. Yeah, I thought about it a little bit. I mean, you know, I'm not a religious person or anything. And if there was a God, like, this is proof that there isn't. It's just f***ed up. Um, so, yeah, it just, it's just f***ed up because, like, six minutes in. It's <laughs> so bad. She's so important that her injury proves that there's no God. I despise this soccer player. I'm glad she's gone. Perhaps Pierce Morgan put it best when he said, Good riddance, Megan Rapino, you smug, pink-haired prima donna. I'm Steve Malsberg. Listen to my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT Radio. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smokey Bear, call me Papa Bear, because I'm grilling up dinner. <laughs> do you get it? Yes, good job. So, what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container, because those embers can start a wildfire. I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha. See, Smokey thinks I'm funny. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. All right, so today we're bringing in our State of the Nation correspondent for literature, history, culture, and film. He's the proprietor of the Bazed Lit Analyzer YouTube channel. He's a subject matter expert in education, media, film, and literature, and much more. Find him on The Boiler Room on Thursday nights with myself and the rest of our social rejects club of barfly philosophers and political animals. Bazed Lit, welcome to State of the Nation. It's great to see you today. Hey, how you doing, y'all? Uh, happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving starts now, at least for me. Um, so <laughs> I'm looking forward to it and uh, having some good talks with you guys today. Absolutely. Yes, we are in the season here, Steve. I'm starting to feel the holiday vibe. Uh, we've got a packed week next week as we roll into Thanksgiving Day uh, week. And uh, yeah, very much looking forward to it. So kind of what I thought we would do is maybe um, talk a little bit about reading, about literature. Uh, let me throw this one at you guys. Um, book talk, negatively impacting literature. Based is going to be the perfect guy to speak to this. Social media and art can go hand in hand. But when TikTok's quote-unquote book talk algorithm seems to push harmful tropes onto young women. The beauty of reading is distorted. One author is the pinnacle of social media success, while her work is full of harmful ideology, one Colleen Hoover. Um, and there's been massive popularization of some of these things, and many are saying it's uh, TikTok-related. So, based, what's going on here, and what's your, what's your feeling about this as our literary expert? Well, I think um, reading in any way is be beneficial. So I'll start off with that. I, I love that people are um, finding books through TikTok, especially, you know, Gen Z Zoomers. Uh, any way that they can find, you know, content and literature is great. But what's happening, I think, is pretty much what Harold, the great critic Harold Bloom predicted and what he sort of railed against for many years that um, ideology sort of takes the place of aesthetics and the great, you know, study of classical literature in the canon. And I think that, you know, uh, a TikTok is antithetical in many ways to the book itself. I, I sort of thought about, um, you know, 20 years ago with video games, like video games were sort of that 20 years ago. Um, but now we have the infinite scroll. And so it's this 
uh, addictive quality of scrolling through. It's a scroll. It's called a scroll, right? So it's it's sort of taking the place of a page. And I think um, it's very hard, especially now with with ubiquitous social media and and uh, the smartphones everywhere with everyone all the time to have the stamina and the patience to let yourself go and to absorb yourself in just in any kind of you know literary work. Um, and so one thing that's mentioned in that article is the tra- uh, she says the trope of abuse uh, of, of abuse. So in other words. Uh, great literature that centers around ho- horrific events. Um, it becomes a, an entire world and a study of a, a worldview that's it's complex and intricate. But it, this is what Harold Bloom predicted, that that abuse itself and the talk of it would just become uh, a sort of trope in literature that becomes a kind of like uh, just a it's a it's a word. It's a phrase and it, it becomes meaningless because it's overused so many times and there's no context. That's that's my take. Well, I, I would think, hey, Bayes, Steve Hook here, and it, it, it's good to see you, bro. Um, I, I I would think that if you were to start a TikTok page on great books to read, you you wouldn't want your kid you you wouldn't want your audience to put down the phone. You want them to keep scrolling, don't you? I mean, it does kind of seem antithetical to uh, uh to have a successful TikTok page to say, hey. Go pick up, you know, King Lear. Uh, put the phone down and go pick up King Lear. You're probably going to get a lot out of that. Uh, that wouldn't do their TikTok page very much good, would it? Right. It's one of the great ironies of, of you know, 21st century media, right, is that, um, you know, the two things seem like they're opposing things. And all the time, you know, you'll get um, – You'll get in the influencers, et cetera, you know, uh, offering advice to people that they need to put away social media while they're getting the advice from social media. It's a paradox, right? <laughs> um, but uh, one of the things, like, for instance, if you just go to YouTube and you look up, um, book, you know, book analysis or books, well, one of the things that's, that's very strange is that you get uh, very synthetic material. And oftentimes the people that are, it's their channel with huge uh, subscriber counts. That's fine. Um, but the books are unopened un there's no cover there no, there's never a discussion of the actual work and uh, I'm not even sure of the books that they're reviewed because they don't become about the books it becomes about oh I got a stack of 10 books from the bookstore we're gonna go book bagging and that's yeah. that's fine as an activity but it's not it's not exactly uh, intellectual material yeah yeah exactly and and this is um it's noted in this article you know with this particular one in mind that um it's influencing negatively relationship ideals i mean uh what that that's something that we see a lot that's sort of you know we've used the word ubiquitous a couple times but that's become very ubiquitous in uh you know television and film now too yeah, people are sort of talking to each other um, like they're in a, a meeting with their therapist and they're using like, you know, talking points. I mean, this is real. You know, this is especially true with with younger people. And I think that it's well intentioned. But the problem is that there's no uh, the, the human substance is taken out of it. And what I think of one work I think of is um, Weathering Heights. Wuthering Heights in every way is the depiction of an unhealthy relationship. It's horrible. It's, it's abuse. It is actually abusive until it becomes sort of almost demonic, but it's, but you have to get there. 
and you have to understand the sort of labyrinths of the psyche that the author takes you through. Um, and ultimately, it's a it's a depiction of what the world means and what love means, even if it means something terrible in their eyes. But um, when everything is sort of, you know, this, of course, this started with like, for, for instance, have you ever heard of No Fear Shakespeare? It's a, it's a book that, you know, middle and high schoolers use when they're studying Shakespeare. And it has a, a translation on the opposing page, but it's English. You know, it's, it's already, it doesn't need a translation. And I get it. You want to yeah. give cliff notes and you want to break things down. But um, uh, when it ends there, because there's no stamina and there's no time and people feel there's no relevance, um, I think we're going in the wrong direction. Yeah. I must say, as I look at you on screen, all of those books, I can't help but notice you've got cliff note. Well, not cliff notes, but you've got post-it notes tucked in all of them. So you obviously are a guy that takes your literature very, very seriously. You read it. And not, not only do you read it, but you understand it and you break it down and you rethink it. And uh, and what you just said about Wuthering Heights is so funny because I've often thought the same thing about that novel, um, that it is kind of an abusive relationship in so many ways. But the thing that's amazing about it is chicks love it. They love that book, don't they? Yes, that, very true. Excellent point. Um, and, you know, that that makes me think of Romeo and Juliet and how. You know, if there's one Shakespearean work, especially about love, um, that comes to mind for a mass audience, it's Romeo and Juliet. But it's misunderstood. It's funny how the entire work is misunderstood in a way because it's it's even called the tragedy of Romeo and Juliet. But it's it's not actually a tragedy. We know from the beginning that they're going to die. We know in the soliloquy in the opening that they're going to die. They're star-crossed lovers, right? And uh, they're doomed. Um, and the movie act or the movie the the play actually ends with the two houses uniting and there's peace and the two lovers are together. Now that's, that's uh, sort of a tragic comedy, but um, I think that that's sort of an entryway point for people, you know, because it's the, it's the depiction of love um, and, you know, anyone can understand it, but it's, it's, it's misunderstood just like relationships are misunderstood and love is misunderstood. And, you know, you feel misunderstood as a, as a young person. And I think that, it's hard for young people to think that they should read when pretty much no adult uh, around them reads, you know, that they, they, yeah, they feel like point. they don't have time. Um, they don't like uh, present a model to them. They don't read when they're children and, and you know, that life happens. Right. But um, I think that ev any adult or any teenager should find something that they're interested in, no matter what it is and explore, explore it. And uh, a TikTok is fine for them for, you know, uh, between classes or whatever they're doing. But that's not that's the, the definition of the surface level. There's no subtext. There's no meaning. Do you think, uh, based? I'm curious, do you think that reading books, um, as you said, you know, I'm not not saying you need to go read Shakespeare or something, but find something you're interested in. Last time we spoke, I think we talked about. Uh, some of the things that we were interested in, we used music as an example, and yes. you brought up a couple of great autobiographies, autobiographies from musicians and such. Um, can do you think that the act of reading consistently will counteract some of the uh, changes that happen in your attention, your 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 span of attention, your brain, your processing? Um, some of the, can it reverse some of the damage that we all get from the infinite scroll? Um, absolutely. Uh, reading, reading is, 
the, the ancient things that we know are written. You know, we, we know them in words. And, um, you know, in Hollywood, they always say, like, human beings love to tell stories. We love to tell stories. Well, that's true. Uh, but it's more of a, a, we think and we dream in words, and the words form images. And, we, you know, when we look at images, you know, physical images, like we look at a, a sunset or a beautiful sky, we think about what that means in words and how we would describe it to somebody. And I think that um, everything in our life in the high speed, post, post modernist, great reset, you know, all this stuff world is um, opposed to taking some time and some peace and um, exploring things in just a moment of, I mean, and it doesn't have to be like, oh, you have a chair and you're reading for three and a half hours. It's just, who, who cares what it is? It's you find a time and you're interested in the thing. I, I said, I mentioned one time about a friend I have who um, read this uh, biography, autobiography of Bo Jackson in fifth grade. And I, I use that as my example because nobody would have recommended that book to him at the time. You know, they when you recommend a book to somebody, they almost never read it. You have to go on the journey yourself and find the thing. And it can be about anything, but it's important to understand what those things mean um, in peace. And it's not always peaceful. Uh, books are, you know, they can, they can, uh, they can scar you. I, the first time that I uh, read a book that did that to me was where the red fern grows in, I think third grade. Oh, yeah. I That's read a that classic. Book. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, I mean, I read the book in a day and my mom, I remember my mom was gone. She came home and I, I you know, I, I, I was like broken at the end of the book. Um, and she was like, what are you doing? Like, it's the, it's this book, you know? And she was like, okay. Um, but, <laughs> but that, but I remember that and that, that teaches me things and, and feelings and, and a way to uh, describe the world that although it's painful, um, you know, it's, there's beauty in that. And I think that there, there is no beauty in the world that people like people never spend time on that. Um, now in a platonic or a biblical sense or a, anything deeper. Um, and that's dangerous. So we need to, we need to do that. Let me ask you, Buzz. Um, obviously you like, um, all kinds of literature, classic literature. You mentioned Shakespeare a couple of times. We were talking about John le Carre a little bit ago, and I like a lot of John le Carre books. By the way, uh, just uh, for your own uh, edification, Hash, I would tell you there's a great documentary about John le Carre called The the uh, Pigeon Tunnel. I don't know if you've seen that, but that's very good. But beyond all that, what are your books that you really like? What it, You say you can't recommend a book, but like I've got kids that are 20-something. What if I said I want to get them into a good book? What do you and what, 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 would, what would you recommend? Well, my favorite, I mean, my favorite books are my, my sort of desert island books would be uh, the book Illuminations by Ram, Arthur Rimbaud. He was Jim Morrison's hero, and he was, I read him when I was a teenager, and he's still uh, the greatest. Um, the Book of Psalms. Um, I love um, the book that we talked about last time, No One Here Gets Out Alive by the Doors. Uh, I That's love. a great book, Danny Sugarman. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I've got his uh, Wonderland Avenue back here as well, um, which is a, an interesting book. Um, but it, when you're recommending books to, for instance, young, young guys, you know, young men, um, it depends on the age. But there's a few things that, you know, young fellows are interested in, like across the board. They're interested in uh, sports, right? Music, um, crime, gangsters, 
uh, spies. I mean, and, I don't need you know, quickly based. We're almost out of time. What about the young ladies? Uh, a couple for them, too. Well, they of course they want to read Pride and Prejudice and uh, Pride and Prejudice and, and uh, Zombies, but uh, they need to read some some of the fellows' books. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, basically analyzer. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we'll look forward to your next appearance here on State of the Nation. Follow Bazelit on YouTube, Bazelit Analyzer. This is State of the Nation. Stay tuned. TNT headlines coming your way.